And Discipleship Disconnect is the title of my, of my sermon today. I wanted to take a minute and just uh, reemphasize to you that as a church, we have a mission. Did you know that? I know all of you good Assembly God folks have been around any time at all have done the discipleship thing, the 16 month fundamentals of faith, and understand what the mission of the church is to be, right? Well, just to reiterate that and to bring that back to you, um, I so wish that uh, my wife Liz could have been here this morning. She's busy with her, with her responsibilities at our church at Inglewood, and I just believe with all my heart that God has kind of ordained this moment for you. I know that uh, the mission of the church is something that obviously this has been a church for a long time. But if you would allow me, humbly, to come and just give you some insight that God has given me over necessity. You know, I've worked as a minister for quite a while, and I realize that um, not everybody does things the same way as I do, and that's okay. But there is a mission of the church that we're supposed to be accomplishing here on earth, and I wanted to just share that and remind us of that again today. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. The mission of the church is to be the physical and visual manifestation of Jesus to a lost world. Now I know that the scripture I'm about to read is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's a well-known scripture. Many of you know it as the Great Commission. But I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to talk about it for just a minute. In verse 18... The scripture says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Say this with me, will you? I am with you always. I am with you always. You see, Jesus told us to go and make disciples. He told us that one of our, our greatest challenges is going to teach others to know who Jesus is and to follow Jesus and to grow in the Lord. But I want you to know something that in that scripture telling us to go and to teach and make disciples, I don't know for sure where COVID-19 all fit in there. I know it didn't take God by surprise, but I know one thing, it sure set the church on its heels. It certainly did. We were not prepared for that. And making disciples can be very challenging. Because in our culture in America, which is changing very fast, there has been a slow shift from a Christian America 
to now a post-Christian America, a shift from a family-based country to a post-family culture. And whether you know it or not, there are a lot of things in our culture that is changing daily in the world outside of where you and I live, and some of you may not even be connected to, but whether you realize it or not, if you don't understand, we are in a post-Christian society. Only about 40% of Americans go to church today. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that is a little shocking to me. Also, we understand that a post-family America, which is understanding that the family unit is the influence, is the foundational principle that God would use to bless and to grow and to help society in our world. I don't know about you, but I still think family's pretty important. I think family is the most powerful thing on the face of this earth with the help of the Holy Spirit, with our families and with our the help of our growing nature of helping our children to grow, helping our adults to grow. This is what makes disciples. I think it's fair to say that there's been some new hurdles placed in the way of making disciples. Wouldn't you agree? Making disciples has not been easy over the last two years at all. And even the culture before that, it's made it very difficult. You see, there are many different ways to worship God. You and I probably understand the, the term of monotheism. Monotheism is the worship of one God. We believe that God is God and he gave his son to die for us. That's how we obtain our salvation and our next step, which is eternity in heaven. There is also what's called polytheism. Polytheism is the belief that there's many gods. And throughout history, we've seen that played out in many different societies and even in America. But the God of this age that is raging today in our society, the thing that is worshipped the most is called secular humanism. And that is basically the belief we don't need God. We can do this on our own. We have the ability to reign ourselves morally and justly without any outside help from God. And whether you realize it or not or even want to admit it, that is the God that most people in America worship is themselves. You see, that's kind of shocking. But it definitely causes some problems when it comes to creating disciples. So today I want to talk to you about four ways and four areas of discipleship that there's challenges in that we're facing today. Not only how we see ourselves as disciples, I don't know about you, but probably one of the greatest things that you and I have is the Holy Spirit working inside of us that tells us when we need to change. Amen. Well, at least somebody agrees with me. It's true. 
The Holy Spirit is your helper. The Holy Spirit is the one who talks to you and leads you and teaches you in the path that you should go so that you can mature. You see, there is a fundamental process that every one of us should be going through. It doesn't matter how old we are. The truth is, is that each and every one of us should be growing not only as disciples, but how the world sees us growing as disciples. Does that make sense? You see, the world, we are the physical and spiritual manifestation of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And the way that people see Jesus is by the effects of the process that you and I are in changing from the old ornery self. I don't know about you, but when I God made me, I was kind of a skunk with a double stinker. I had two stinkers, more than one. I, had, I was capable of being twice as stinky, which made me a problem. But there is a, 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 a nature to humanity that doesn't want to do what's right. But when you and I gave our lives to Christ, there was a transformation that began. It's called kenosis. It's the emptying process. The old man becoming the new. Remember the scripture that backed that up. But I want you to understand something that that is the exact process of discipleship. You and I must understand that not only is it important the way we see ourselves, but how does the world view us as a church? Again, we must continue the need for discipleship and spiritual growth. So that we can be relevant in a very quickly changing culture. There's that word relevant. Did you know that there's a world outside these walls that some of us have no clue that's going on around us? You see, the church has an incredible chore ahead of it. We must be in the world. We can't be of the world. But what we certainly have to do in order to minister to a world is understand what's going on. You know, the statistics are, there's a wonderful book out. It's called How to Revive Evangelism. This was recommended to us by George Wood. Anybody recognize that name, Assembly of God Superintendent? Anybody know the name George Wood? They, he recommended this for all the pastors to read. And I will tell you, it's partially put out by the Barna Group, who does a lot of research. And I wanted to read to you very quickly some research that they came up with. 47% of millennial Christians believe sharing their faith with others is wrong. 47% of our millennials, two generations of people, believe that sharing our faith 
is not only saying it's undesirable, that it's difficult, not saying that the words don't come and it's hard to communicate. They're actually saying they believe it's wrong to share their faith. Now, I wonder where that came from. I wonder how we come to those conclusions. Now, before we dump on all of our millennials in the room, something you and I have to understand is, is who taught them and who raised them. And I am telling you that that in itself, I'm not talking about millennial people in general think it's, that it's wrong to share their faith. These are millennial Christians who believe it's wrong to share their faith. Why would it be wrong to share their faith? We're really stuck on being offended. You know that? We just don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say what's true. We don't want to give our belief of what's true. We don't want to say anything that might be misconstrued or make people feel uncomfortable. We just don't want to offend anybody. And it's true. But the sad thing is, is that when you look at the statistics that go along with it, it really is very complicated. The statistics say that millennial Christians, 94% of millennial Christians believe that a transformation that Jesus Christ makes in a person's life is the most important thing that could happen to a human being. So how can that be? They believe it's the most important thing that could happen to a human being, but yet we don't feel like we can talk about it. That's troubling. There's got to be some answers there. I know that for me, this COVID season has been very difficult because my job is to help train people and discipleship people to serve the Lord. And I want you to know something. I have gone through some things in the last two years that I really didn't want to do. Anybody ever have the Lord make you do something you didn't want to do? Anybody ever have that happen? Mm -mm -mm. Well, it's true. Sometimes God will have you go through things you don't want to do just so you can learn some things you might not want to learn. Over the last year, just to make finances be able to pay the bills, I decided I would go back because when you're an evangelist, and when you're teaching school that nobody wants to go to school right now because we're paralyzed with fear and we don't even know what's going on, so everybody just stopped everything. Makes it hard to make a living. I went back to cutting meat at high vee I cut meat for a year. I hadn't cut meat for 23 years. Went back to work in a job at a store. You know what I found out? You know why a lot of people don't go to church? Because they have to work on Sunday. 38% of the people in America have to work on Sunday. That means they will never, if the only church that they can go to is on Sunday morning, 38% of the adults 
can just go to hell. That didn't even mention their kids. Wonder how many people that is in our population. You know, it's sad, but until you're put in that situation to where you're talking to people who would love to go to church, but they can't, and haven't been able to go to church for years, kind of makes you go on to hobby on Sunday and buying your groceries look like they cost a little more than a little bit of change. So when you go to church or when you go to high V on Sunday and look at those employees back there, you just realize one thing. They're paying a great price for you to have your hot dogs on Sunday afternoon. Something else I learned is, is that working with people in a lost society and they know that you're a pastor and you're a minister. It's kind of an interesting thing. It was like, I was like the new picture on the wall, right? Everybody saw it when they come in. Everybody would talk to you and want to talk to you about things. Many of these people haven't been to church in years. But I did learn one thing. They want to talk to you about what you know. Did you ever stop and think about this? Did you ever stop and think about one of the things that keeps us from making disciples is the lack of conversation about Jesus? Let me share something with you that's also troubling. So when you look at other generations, through Generation Xers, the Boomers, and the Elders, the data show their lack of interaction with the broader culture poses its lack of of concern for the problem of evangelism. On the whole, half of the Christians in the United States have two spiritual conversations per year or fewer. On the whole, most Christians have fewer than two spiritual conversations Per year. That's troubling. I'm not talking about deep things of God. They just don't talk about God at all. So can I just, can I just, see, you've got to understand, I'm just telling you the stuff I've learned. And I'm hoping it stirs your heart, not in a condemning way. I'm trying to help you understand that there's some work that we can do to change some stuff. You see, conversations is how Jesus changed people's lives. Did you know that in the Bible, how many times did Jesus give a direct answer to a direct question? When people would walk up and ask Jesus a question, how many times did he give a direct answer? I think it's about four times in the Bible. How did he answer people? He asked them questions. We don't even have Sunday school anymore. And I know one thing. People want to ask questions. But as the church, we're not giving them any place to ask questions. For two decades now, we have centered around proclamation 
being the main source of communication to people who were discipling. The times of big evangelism, we used to think, oh my goodness, let's get a whole bunch of people together. And if we don't have a big crowd, we failed. Jesus talked to a lot of people who weren't in big crowds. And the truth is, is that those conversations is where relationship happens. Do you know why Generation Xers and the Boomers and and the elders are struggling? Because, I'm just going to read to you out of the book. And 38% of adult Christians in the United States don't have a single non-Christian friend or family member. Many who are older than millennials have drifted into an impenetrable Christian bubble largely engaged with the culture and communities of the church. How many non-Christian friends do you have? If we are going to have conversations with people, we can't live in a do you know what the world thinks and how they see the church? So many times the statistics say that they see the church as being irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't apply to their life. My question to you is how do we change that? How can we change that? Can I share with you just a moment? One of the things that we have seen that we have done to change that is that we have started a, a food program. A year and a half ago, we had a situation where we did a food program. We had 15 volunteers, worked ourselves silly. It lasted for hours and hours, and volunteers hated coming. We used our heads and figured out how to do it quicker, less work, started thinking things through. Why are we doing the way things the way we do them? And you know what we realized? We were pridefully ignorant. We were doing things a lot harder than they needed to be done. People didn't want to come because it infringed on all their time. And when they came, they wanted to be doing something that was relevant, not just wasting their time. Yesterday, we had a food program where we served 247 families but over 1,300 people, and we had 67 volunteers. It changed. But how? Is not doing things the same old way we used to do them and being unwilling to change. We had to look at it from a different standpoint, and we did. And it changed. Now we have people thrilled to death to come to church and be active because the people that come through, you know what's relevant? is when people are hungry and they can't afford food, you give them something to eat. We see tears. We see stories. We hear them over and over. We're retaining people in our church. And people are coming to the church. And I had a lady say, you have no idea what you're doing here. I go, Okay, <laughs> but we, yes, you're giving out food, but you have no understanding that there's many of these people would not have food to eat if you didn't help them. 
You know, something you and I have to do is start understanding the culture we live in and understand that there are needs that need to be met and we need to start looking at how can we meet them. Number one is relationships. Relationships are so important. Why are they so important? Because Jesus said the first commandment is to love God and love your neighbors as yourself. The problem with secular humanism is that we love ourselves more than we love anybody. I'm not doubting that we don't love God, but the truth is is that we're not communicating that to anybody else but maybe our Christian friends. There's a problem with that, and it causes us, number one, not to grow. Did you know how uncommon it is for people not to grow as Christians? If we're sitting in a pew and we haven't grown, it's like me and you going down to the Walmart, or going down to, let's go to McDonald's. John, you and I go to McDonald's, we order a couple Big Mac meals, I get my Big Mac meal, I sit down, John says, could you grind that up and put it in a sippy cup? I just, I don't have the, I can't tolerate that. That's pretty unnatural, isn't it? It's the same thing as a person who has disconnected themselves from growing simply because they don't have any relationships. How can we say that we love God, but yet we don't love anybody else? And yes, I understand coming to church and doing worship, but the reason why the statistics say people don't come to church, there's about one-third of the people who don't come to church at all say that if they could find a church that is relevant to the society we live in, they would go to church. So how do we change? Relationships are important. We have to understand that whenever we have relationships, we can't just stop with the relationships we have. We have to do things to create relationships. We started a program called Feed Your Neighbor. Don't just take food home for yourself. On a Sunday, right after church, we do a program called Feed Your Neighbor. Take some food to somebody you know who needs it. There's a huge need for it right now. Take food to a lot to a shut-in. Take food to a person who you know is struggling. And you know what? That program has grown exponentially. And we finally have people lined up in cars after church now waiting for food and to take to their friends and their family. We hear crazy stories about people coming to know Jesus and being prayed with and, and knowing and expressing the feeling of gratitude because somebody cared. Relationships is a big part of our growing process with the Lord. The depravity of man will put us in a, on this bridge. Say, for instance, we're standing on a bridge. Over here is our depravity, our natural nature. Here's the bridge, and that is the victory. That's growing in Christ. But this whole season, this two years of setting people back, we either look at the bridge from the side of depravity and then do nothing about it, Or we stand in the middle of the bridge going, I don't know what to do. You know what causes us to stand in the middle of the bridge and do nothing? Fear. Oh, I don't want to do anything that would offend anybody. I don't want to ask people if they need some help. I don't want to ask somebody to 
to do something that might we might have to do something different than we've always done. We may have to start some new programs. We may have to ask people to help us. You see, this is the place we want to be. Whenever we cross that bridge, we grow in Christ. That should be our goal. You and I should be looking at that bridge every day and going, I'm going to get across that bridge. I'm going to grow in Christ. It's the natural process of discipleship. Another thing that stops people from growing is passion. When people have lost their passion, they've lost everything. When we've lost our passion for the lost, when we've lost our passion for our neighbors, when we've lost our passions for the people that work beside us, when we've lost our passion for the people that live on our street, we're in trouble. Give me a man with passion for the cause and he will outwork any two men. Give me a person with passion for a cause, he will sacrifice five times more than anybody else. Give me a man with passion for a cause and he will outlast ten others. You give me a man with passion, he'll give his life for just one. There's no greater love. You know what's so sad about passion? People look at it as it's a bridge that you can't cross. But I want you to know something. You know how people show passion? It's not just in a one-time dying for someone. The greatest passion you and I can give is living every day unselfishly. The scripture says if a man wants to be a disciple, he must first do what? Deny himself. We must deny ourselves and take up that cross and carry it. We can't be a disciple without denying ourselves. If we're not having passion... Passion is what makes you stay when the going gets tough. If you've lost your passion, the first opportunity to opt out, you're gone. You might can tell I'm kind of passionate about this. Number three, are you willing to learn? Are you willing to learn? You can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you've never been. But are you willing to learn? I mentioned this book, and I'm telling you, if you would get this book, it is a life-changing information that would help you tremendously. But there is a lot of things you go through in life. Listen, go to Hy-Vee, and I'm just telling you, you know what I've learned at Hy-Vee is that people don't know how to cook. Had a lady come up, had $200. She had these, she had eight filet mignons. She spent 200 bucks. And I wrapped them up, set them on the counter, going, man, I wish I was going home with you. She looked me straight in the face and goes, okay, now how do I cook those? You mean you just spent $200 on steaks and you don't know how to cook them? That's Russian roulette. That's sinful. Had a lady bought four lobster tails the other day. $29 a piece, wrapped them up, put it on the counter. How do I cook those? I'm going, you're kidding me. Had a lady bought a baked potato, a twice-baked potato, nonetheless, it's already fixed. Put it in the, on, the ta- on the counter. 
How do I fix that? You know what would be a wonderful outreach? You know what would be a great way to meet people that you won't have a chance to meet? Some of you know how to cook. For God's sake, save the world and teach somebody how to cook. You'd have you'd be booked out. You could run that up that rascal on Facebook. You'd have classes all day long, all every week. And look at the conversations you could have. But if you don't know, young people don't know how to cook, you don't know what they need. I'm telling you, they don't know how to cook. They couldn't cook to save their lives. And you know what's really sad? Anybody notice that going to the restaurant's costing a lot of money right now? Do you know what's happening to people's budgets? They're getting blowed up. Take a single person who don't know how to cook. They're living at home when they, they have a home. They're paying the rent. They're paying the bills on one income. Guess what? Their grocery bill, they cannot afford to eat out anymore because eating a Big Mac, McDonald's costs you 12 bucks. I took a family out yesterday, just two of there's four of us, went out to eat just a simple barbecue sandwich and fries. Four of us was $80. I'm telling you, groceries are going up, but it ain't nothing like the cost of stuff going to a restaurant. And there's a lot of us who have depended on cheap labor working at a restaurant and saving our hides so we can just eat and not know how to cook. And we've done that for years, and we've eat out. We don't even know how to cook. God help us anything really ever happens to America. Half the people lay down on the street out there and just die. They'll dwindle up. They can't cook nothing. <laughs> oh, dear Jesus, help us. We have to be willing to learn. And the truth is, is that information learning and growing as a disciple requires us to continue to learn. Do not be afraid to endeavor in understanding. Growing, learn things. That's what prepares you for the journey to get over the bridge. The last one is practical application. You can do all those things. You can be a great disciple, get all trained up. You can know the Bible backwards and forwards. You can have wonderful relationship skills. And you can be the smartest kid in the class. You can have the passion to do anything, but if when you gain all those three things and you sit on your duff and do nothing, it's worthless. Faith without work is dead. So what can we do? What can we do? Let's sum it up. Let's start thinking about some new relationships. Let's get some of the old ones fixed up so we can sit down and talk to each other again. Let's have some conversations with people who don't know Jesus. Let's do everything we can to ask the Holy Spirit to instill a passion in us, the passion, that first love that we've lost. Number three, let's start being willing to not be pridefully ignorant. You know what's interesting I've learned through COVID is nobody likes to be told what to do. So you hate me right now. I know that. 
You don't like it. But I care. You can either listen to what I've said and be offended and go home and say, I'm sure glad that pastor ain't here very often. <laughs> Tell Pastor Denny never to have him back. He's so hard. I'm, we, don't, we don't want that kind of preaching. You can do that. Or you can open your heart and say, you know what? Holy Spirit, you've stirred me today. Let me use my intelligence. Let me look at things I can do to meet the needs of people you'll start seeing people show up at church. It's an investment. And guess what? You will grow right through it. Your discipleship disconnect will get reconnected. And the last thing, guys, when it comes time to have something and volunteer, you have to, you have to apply yourself to doing whatever it is that's being done in order to make it work. Listen, I know we're bringing inflatables here. And there's a chili cook-off or whatever next Sunday. Listen, if you don't tell nobody, you know what? Say, well, it costs money to eat. So what? Listen, you're going to go out and take somebody to dinner. You're going to spend money doing something. Say, I'll pay for the chili. I, well, you just you want to come to church and have a chance. You can play on the games. Let's just sit down and have fun and have a conversation. You know what's wrong with the church a lot of times? We forgot how to have fun. We forgot that ministry to people should be fun. This is the ministry. Don't tell me. This is the ministry. We can't have any fun. Oh, that's so exciting. Ministry should be fun. When those 60-whatever people left yesterday, they had a glow on their face. They had testimonies of things that's happened. God moved in their behalf and answered prayers for a lot of people Ministry can be fun, should be fun, if we're willing to reconnect and grow in Christ. We can do this. Remember what I said? Jesus said, go and make disciples and remember one thing. What is it? What did I tell you? He said, I am with you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He, the Holy Spirit will make divine appointments that we walk by every single day and we don't take them. Last story, lady yesterday, I set her up handing out invitations to church. At, she, you know, I could tell she was kind of a shy person, but I like putting people on the spot because that's how you grow, right? <laughs> Get out of your comfort zone. So she said, okay, Pastor Al, I'll do it. Came through a relationship we've had in a while. She trusted me. She said, I'll do it. At the end of the day, she said, you know what? I've invited over 300 people to church today, and it was fun. And you know what's so sad? I don't think I've invited anybody to church in months. I go, it's easy, isn't it, once you get the hang of it? It's just that easy. Stop being so worried about offending somebody. People need the Let's pray. Father, thank you for a beautiful day. Lord, I feel like the time's been short. I know that I've ex explained this with a lot of passion. And if there are people who will listen, I just pray, God, that they'll take and do something with it. And Father, I know that these are precious people. I've known many of them for several years. God, reinstill a passion in our heart. I just ask you in Jesus' name.
Now my only direction to you is when you walk out this door, go and walk like the child of God that you are. And reach somebody for Jesus. It's a good word. Necessary. It's necessary. And uh, the feeling that we should be feeling right now is conviction. And you should be feeling it. And what it is, is the Holy Spirit giving confirmation <laughs> in you and urging you and picking a prod and say, see, <laughs> I'm pretty sure some of us are getting it. What the Holy Spirit's like, see, told you. <laughs> so, you know, I've been grateful to have community together again because you know, he touched on something that was just, but the, something that's been pressing on my heart is being in the workplace and being bivocational. And I've always been bivocational and worked in the workplace with a secular work setting. You do, you find out that even I was in that situation where you don't, you got to provide for your family. And when the boss says, hey, I need you here on Sunday, what do I say? And what I found is that a lot of men, a lot of men are walking around feeling inadequate and feeling alone. And that's just, and we just go with it. Amen, Brother Al? It is. And we just go with it. And I've had conversations that work with men who have lost wives, gotten sick, and they feel like and they don't know how to talk. And one of the most honorable things I've been able to do when I was working at AT&T and everybody knew I was a Christian because I would just, I would have conversational people. I wasn't walking around with a t-shirt that said, I love Jesus. And I was just having conversations with people and got, you know, had a group of guys that we would, you know, got close with and, you know, guys are unsaved and we would just talk and communicate. And and don't don't matter if you black or white or whatever, man, you got problems, you got problems. Problems don't have color. Do they, do they? No. Sin don't have color. There's some cultural differences that, yes, we do need to be aware of, and we can't dismiss that. Don't dismiss that. It does make a difference when you have a conversation to try to understand where somebody comes from. But problems don't have a color. And when you talk about certain problems, and all it takes is this one courageous person to just say, man, I've just been struggling. And next thing you know, the floodgates open up. That's all it takes. And they said, Jonathan, man, come on over. We have a Sunday morning breakfast when we work on Sundays. And they know they know me. They knew it was hard for me because I was serving at a church and couldn't be there. Well, let's have Sunday morning breakfast. Talking and talking. And next thing you know, Sunday morning breakfast again. And next thing you know, you have God say something. They said, Jonathan, hey, could you pray? The most honorable thing ever. I'll take the I'll take that over a million dollars. I'm just being honest, because it's like, man, I've I've earned that with them, and I was so proud. I've earned that with them. How can we earn people's respect before we start demanding stuff? So that that just that touches me. That just that just touches me differently. Because some people just don't have a choice. And you realize how hard life is. Like when you, especially for single moms and and single dads and. 
like you're just going through it and you feel like you don't know who to talk to and the church is just asking you to be here, be here. It's like, yo, I would love to, but I can't. And so, so those are things that just put into perspective with people. So when you touch on that, man, that just kind of. There are answers. Yeah. <laughs> there are answers. You know, have a conversation. So, so there's some things that, you know, we, we got to talk about as a church family and get things rolling in this community. This community is extremely struggling. I don't know if you've seen that, that this school district is struggling bad. They, when they found out that I was getting a new job, when I, when I was leaving Smith Hill, calling me, Jonathan, please don't leave. Please, John, please, please. Call another teacher, Jonathan, please. And it just was like, man, please, Jonathan, please come back this year. Please, we need you, please. And so I was just like, man, you know, I got to take this job. I got to. <laughs> and, um, you know, and even at this job now, but it's an uh, interesting perspective. But we thank you and we praise you. Um, just some things that we just got to, we just got to talk to as a church family, just being honest. <laughs> so that was challenging and I'm, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep those notes on hand and anytime we have a meeting, I'm going to bring those notes up and just. I'm just going to refer to it. I'm just going to refer to it. You know. Um, you know. But let's pray. Let's pray. We thank you for that word. God, we just thank you. <laughs> we thank you. Anybody would like to come to the altar and have a, have a minute and like to be prayed for, I pray for you. Pray for each other. And like I said, man, all it takes is just being honest. All it takes is just one person to be courageous, to be transparent. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you, God. Enough, I pray, Lord God, that there would be so many things. Lord, if, if there's problems in our life, I believe, and I've heard it said from other preachers, that sometimes, even in the most difficult situations of our life, what it does is it gives opportunity for God to do a miracle. For God, if we can invite him to our deep, deep issues and our struggles, Lord, that you would come in and you can come in and change the whole situation as long as we invite you. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that we would invite you, Lord God, what we have been challenged with today, that we would walk away in courage and conviction and really ponder and really, really, really deep, uh, dig deep inside, Lord God, to find out what is our purpose. Lord, how can we be a light in such a dark time? Because there is no question that we are supposed to be light and darkness. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth. And the, we, we are losing a lot of flavor in our country. We are losing a lot of flavor in people's, in, in our own lives, in people's lives, in friends' lives. Lord, and instead of us just seeing it and watching almost like a car wreck, watching it happen, Lord, would you help us to be active? God, help us to be active to be proactive, Lord God. To really, really step forward and courage. 
and say, God, you know what? This may be uncomfortable for me. This is not what I want to do. But yet, Lord God, not my will, but yours. And be with us, Lord God. So we thank you and we praise you, Lord God. We we pray for every single person, Lord God, that's on the in the secular work setting right now, Lord God. We pray for. Can we just lift our hands over our brother Al? Reach, uh, uh, reach your hands with brother Al. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you have anointed him, Lord God. And Lord God, there is no mistake that you have put him, Lord God. Even though it might be the ideal situation, but you have put him there, Lord God, and placed him for a reason. And Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that you would be, Lord God, when he doesn't have the words to speak or even exasperated and tired, Lord God, from doing double shifts or maybe they've asked him, Lord, that he would have the words to speak, Lord God, to comfort someone's soul, Lord God. We thank you. We praise you. We 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 play a, a blessing over our brother today, Lord God. We thank him for coming today. This was timely. This was on time. This was on time. We thank you for our brother, Lord God. We thank you. We pray a blessing over him. Just an anointing over him. May his cup, uh, his cup runneth over, Lord God. When he feels empty, Lord God, would you refill him, Lord God? And uplift his spirit, Lord God. Even in the most discouraging of moments, Lord God, would you encourage him and be there? We thank you. We praise you, Lord God. And we pray for all of us, Lord God, as we as we uh, uh, go back, Lord God, into our workforce, Lord God. Help us to uh, share your eyes with us, Lord God. As we go back to our workplaces, Lord God. Anoint us. Help us to submit to your word. When we feel that Holy Spirit nudge and say, hey, go. This is our time. Go, go, go now. That we would obey. That we would obey it. That we would obey that, that urge, that nudge from your spirit. And forgive us for the times that we have failed. Please. That we don't need to walk in shame, but we need to walk in redemption. And we're so thankful, Lord God, that you are a God of mercy, of love, and of redemption, Lord God. That you do not just give up on us, Lord God. You continue to walk with us, Lord God, and be with us, Lord God, and continue to gift us and bless us, Lord God, financially and all the things, Lord God, that you give us on a daily that we do not deserve. But Lord, you continue to do that with us. We thank you for being such a good, good father. We thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. We are dismissed.